This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. On an early morning, I'm in a place that I fell in love with many years ago, the Brooks Range, wild, remote, rugged mountains that stretch across the far north of Alaska, above the Arctic Circle. I'm in the valley of the Kayakuk River. If I were to say what sound most characterizes what's around me right now, I'd have to say it's the vast, encompassing, embracing silence of a truly wild place. Off to my left here, a tall pyramidal mountain reaching up into a very early morning sky. Well, early morning at this time of year, it's about 10 o'clock. And off to my right, a wall of mountains, rocky peaks, tundra on the top, and black spruce trees reaching up the shoulders of these mountains. All around me, a forest of spruce trees, tall spires reaching up into the sky, the most classic kind of interior Alaska scene that you could imagine. Snow everywhere, a world of white and dark green. No other color at all. The sky above, a slaty gray little drift of snowflakes falling straight down on this dead calm morning. Well, I'm hiking along in maybe about a foot of powdery snow, the kind of stuff that you're wallowing just a little bit in. But luckily I'm on a trail here that's been packed down by passage of a couple of snow machines and dog teams, so it's fairly easy going. On March 29th of 1855, Henry David Thoreau wrote in his journal, I inhale with pleasure the cold but wholesome air like a draft of cold water. Yes, indeed. What a wonderful flavor it is, this chilly Alaskan winter air. Well, the interior and the Arctic country of Alaska and Canada are famous, or maybe I should say notorious, for prolonged, intense, sometimes even dangerously frigid winter temperatures. What makes these high latitudes so cold? We're just above the Arctic Circle. Why is it so cold? Well, for one thing, of course, as I mentioned, 10 o'clock in the morning, just getting light. The winter days up here are very short. Sun stays low in the sky or never even rises at all if you're at a high enough latitude. And this pure white snow all around reflects the solar energy back into the sky. It's what meteorologists call albedo, high reflectivity. And the other thing, the heat stored within the Earth's surface radiates out into the typically clear dome of sky here through the winter months. So more thermal energy is lost this way than the very slight or non-existent thermal energy that's coming in from the sun. This phenomenon happens especially in the huge continental landmasses like Siberia, interior Alaska, and all the way across boreal and Arctic Canada. Great pools of extremely cold, dense air develop this way every winter. Oh, look here. Here's uh, pretty fresh tracks 
of a snowshoe hare that came out of the alders and willows here, hopped right across this open little trail and was undoubtedly snuggled down in its daytime little nest somewhere among all these billows of snow. And here, wow, here's something else. Check this out. There's a little embankment. We're coming up to a stream here and very big tracks coming down out of the woods. I'm going to go up this bank and look back in. This was a moose that was walking along the edge of this stream and came down. Now we're coming right up to the stream itself, frozen, all white open snow. Now I'm going to kneel down, stick my fingers down in them. In fact, it looks like there were two moose here, maybe a cow and her half-grown calf. And as I do that, I can feel that these tracks are actually pretty hard in the bottom. That means they've frozen up. That snow hardens up when it's disturbed. So we know that the moose didn't come by here just 15 minutes ago or something. If I stick my finger down in my own track, very, very soft, fluffy as the snow all around it. So that's a good way to tell how old tracks are. Now I'm coming down onto the stream and oh, look at this. Here's a little open hole, crystal clear water and a rocky stream bed underneath it and the water bubbling along. Listen to it. You can hear that kind of hollow sound of the water running under the ice. Water here is only about six inches deep maybe. So we're crossing the creek now and man do we have a phenomenal open view looking up and down the river with heavy forest on either side. Big tall spruce trees and then the thickets of willow and alder. This moose is going along. We're really walking basically in the moose's tracks here. These two moose actually. And we're coming up the other side, very gradual embankment, and off they go into the heavy willows here. Willows practically buried in snow. I wonder if those moose are close enough around here to hear my voice. Well, I love the way in wintertime all the tracks of the animals are revealed in the snow. So everybody's activities and movements inscribed all around us like signatures. Well, the coldest temperature ever recorded in Alaska was 80 below zero Fahrenheit. That's minus 62 degrees Celsius in January of 1971 at a place called Prospect Creek. It's a little pipeline camp along the North Slope Hall Road, not too far from where we are today. It's just above the Arctic Circle. Well, these northern interior places are not only extremely cold in the wintertime, they can get pretty darn warm in the summer because the land heats up in the very long, almost continuous sunshine. So Coldfoot, for example, has an average high temperature in July of 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 21 centigrade. Here's where our moose came back out again and walked off into the woods. Actually, these tracks look a little bit fresher. I'm sticking my feet in them and indeed they do feel a little bit softer so I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if that moose is around here. It would loom up so dark in these surroundings of billowing white snow-covered thickets. Well one of the coldest towns in Alaska overall is the village of Alakakut. That is a Koyukon Indian community. We're in the Koyukon Indian homeland right now. Alakakut is on the Kayakuk River about 60 miles from Prospect Creek where that record Alaskan cold was set. The average low temperature in January and February at Alakakut minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 34 Celsius. That's the average. The record low at Alakakut 75 below zero Fahrenheit.
Well, during intense cold spells, here in the boreal forest of Alaska, all the way across Canada, all the way across Siberia, northern Russia, it's always clear and calm. Dense, cold air drains down into the valleys and the low areas. That's why places like Alakakit and Prospect Creek are so cold. There's also intense radiation of the Earth's heat up into the sky, and that creates a condition that's called an inversion. That means there's much colder air near the ground, like where we're standing right now, rather than higher up. It reverses the normal pattern where, as you go up the mountains here on either side of us, it would get colder, but not true when there's an inversion. That phenomenon is very familiar to people who live in places like Fairbanks, Alaska, where it can be 15 or 20 degrees warmer at homes on the higher surrounding hills than it is in the low-lying neighborhoods nearer to the center of town. These cold patterns can be broken quite abruptly by an importation of warmer air from afar. Usually that's southerly winds from low pressure systems that bring that air that's been heated in the sunnier latitudes farther south. Bring it up to the north. There's another way it can happen too. That's if you get a westerly wind carrying air that's been warmed up by the ocean. For example, in the winter storms that come inland from the North Pacific or the Bering Sea into the interior part of Alaska and off across into Canada. Another thing that can affect the temperatures pretty strongly, and we're seeing it today, that's clouds. Instead of the heat radiating freely out into space, that heat that's coming up from the Earth's surface, it's held in by this layer of clouds that's over our head this morning. Even very thin, high veils of cirrus clouds can keep the temperature from plunging during the wintertime. We've got to have this sky clear off if we want to get some serious winter weather. Well, even though it can drop to intensely cold temperatures here in the interior of Alaska, the coldest year-round temperatures, averaging together summer, winter, spring, fall, are on the Arctic coast. Coldest of them all, the annual average at Barrow, the northernmost place in Alaska. All the way around the year, it comes out to plus 10 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 12 Celsius. On average, the low temperature at Barrow is at or below freezing 315 days of the year. There's only about 50 days when you can figure on frost-free conditions up there, so you better raise your garden inside the house. The coasts of Alaska and Canada, of course, are relatively mild in the winter compared to the inland regions. For example, Barrow up there in the far north of Alaska, the lowest temperature ever recorded, minus 56 degrees Fahrenheit. Might sound pretty cold, but it's not extreme at all by Alaska standards. The coldest temperature ever recorded in Anchorage, 34 degrees below zero. Anchorage is located next to a big coastal inlet. Now, deep in the interior, at Fairbanks, another big city here in Alaska, the record cold temperature there, 62 below zero Fahrenheit. So a heck of a lot colder than Anchorage down there by the water. Why is that? Well, water is very conservative about temperature. So the ocean loses heat very slowly compared to the land, and that warms the overlying air above the water. Out there on the coast, usually a heck of a lot windier than inland. That phenomenon called wind chill by meteorologists. But I want to say something about wind chill. Let's just pretend it's 50 degrees below zero right here along this valley in the Brooks Range this morning. How would that compare to if we had a minus 50 wind chill? 
When it's 50 below zero, you got no place to go. Whether I'm standing out in the open or back here among the trees, it's still gonna be 50 below. But with a wind chill, all I gotta do is duck around the corner downstream here where the creek takes a bend and I'm out of the wind and all of a sudden the temperature is maybe zero or something like that. So I can't say I would overrate that whole thing of wind chill. The coldest official temperature ever recorded in Canada 81 degrees below zero Fahrenheit, minus 63 Celsius. That's at the little town of Snag in the Yukon Territory, just across the Alaska border along the Alcan Highway. It's also the coldest official temperature ever recorded in North America. Hey, look at here. Here is a set of tracks. A little bit hard to identify because of the deep snow, but I'm pretty sure that's a fox. Little footprints, one right in front of the other, but almost troughing through this foot or so of powder snow. Heading up into this valley the way we're going, as we're getting up higher now, the trees are opening up. We're not that far below the tree line, so we have a beautiful view all around, looking down the valley, mountain after mountain. If we keep going far enough, we're gonna run right out of trees. Now, we're talking about the coldest temperatures in Canada. Here's something interesting. Canada is the world's coldest country. If you average all the daily temperatures from all around the country throughout the entire year. Okay, now, Antarctica. That continent is in a league all by itself when it comes to winter cold. Now, interestingly, the coldest place is not the South Pole. That distinction goes to a place called Vostok Station, 11,000 feet elevation on the Antarctic ice cap. The average temperature in the coldest month of the year, that would be August, remember the seasons are reversed there, 89 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. That's the average. The lowest temperature ever recorded there 129 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. That's also the lowest temperature ever recorded anywhere on Earth. Is it possible to imagine that world record cold temperature? Think how cold, if you've experienced zero, okay, think about how cold that is. Now go another 30 degrees colder to minus 30. In my experience, you really just never get used to that temperature or anything colder than minus 30. Now, let's drop another 30 to minus 60. Hard to imagine minus 60 even when you're in it. Now, double that one for the world record at Vostok Station. There's just no way to fathom how 129 degrees below zero Fahrenheit would feel. Back in the mid-1960s, I had an opportunity to live for a year in Arctic Alaska with Inupiaq Eskimo people in the village of Wainwright. It was an experience that changed the whole direction of my life and also that introduced me to serious cold weather. The temperatures in Wainwright hovered from minus 25 to minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit for weeks at a time during that winter often with powerful gales blowing. Gales so strong, they shook and rumbled my house. Sometimes I thought that house was gonna tip over, maybe go rolling across the tundra like tumbleweed. My thermometer during that winter dropped to minus 51 degrees twice. Not surprisingly, the Inupiaq Eskimo language has a number of words for cold. Kiyanuk means cold weather or a cold place. Iriliak means intense cold or a cold spell. And then there's the word you hear a lot, alapak. It means to be cold. Wow, it's freezing out here. 
How do Inupiaq people survive in such cold? Well, one very important thing, brilliant, highly perfected winter clothing. Most of that clothing is made from caribou skin. And it's important to remember that every hair on a caribou's hide is hollow. So it traps air inside those hairs as well as between and underneath them. It was the Inuit people living up in the Arctic of Alaska and Canada who invented the parka with an attached hood. Another important thing about that hood, a wolf or wolverine ruff. Now those two kinds of fur are unique because they will shed frost. All you got to do is brush them with your hand and the frost falls off rather than clinging there. Another thing about those parkas, fur bracelets or wristlets that will help to keep the cold air from coming up the sleeves. A fur neck piece to protect your chin and neck. And then the parka is usually tied at the waist to hold in the warm air. Eskimo people also use incredibly effective footgear, a kind that Inupiaq people call tutuleks. Very lightweight, come up just below the knee, made out of caribou with the fur turned inside and the soles, and then inner fur socks incredibly warm. If I was wearing tulix right now, I'll tell you what, my feet would be roasting. Also, another thing that Inupiaq people advise, never sit on a cold surface directly. Always put something underneath those big muscles of your behind. Traditionally, they would use a loon skin flap with the feathers on it that would hang off a waist strap so that every time they sat down, they had that waterproof and warm loon skin down there underneath them. Another thing, exercise. Run behind your dog sled, jump up and down. Do an Eskimo dance to warm yourself up. Another thing, of course, protect the exposed flesh of your face. Always turn away from the wind. Let that parka rough protect you. Grow a mustache if you're a guy. That mustache keeps your upper lip warm. And another thing, it collects moisture from your breath and you can just kind of lick those little icicles off there when you get thirsty. Also very important, don't warm your face. Okay, I could hold my hand over my face right now and go put the warm, wet air all over my face. That's going to make your face colder. Take your hand out of the glove, hold it against your flesh, and let your hand warm up your skin. One other thing that I think is extremely important in terms of Inupiaq people's extraordinary adaptation to the rigors of Arctic winter. They are incredibly tough people. They just never let it get the best of them. I spent several winters also living in interior Alaska villages, and man, I saw some really intense cold there. Coldest ever, 1975, a cold snap when I was staying in the Inupiaq village of Shungnak along the Kobuk River just above the Arctic Circle. First week, getting into the minus 50s. Second week, getting down to about minus 60. And the third week, hit 73 below zero on my thermometer down along the river. Dense, windless, powerful, pervasive, frightening cold. The chill would flood down into my lungs, kind of takes your breath away. If you go out in that kind of cold air, take a cup of hot water, throw it up in the air, it just immediately vaporizes into a cloud of fog and little droplets come down, goes like that, and hardly anything lands on the ground. Pour some water on the snow, it'll crackle and freeze instantly. Another thing you never want to do that I learned the hard way, don't touch anything metal with some wet part of you. My mittens had a little strap with a metal clip thing, and I grabbed that thing with my teeth to loosen the gloves. Oh, I never did that again after I left a bit of my tongue and my lips on that metal. 
Well, here we are in the homeland of Koyukon Indian people, Athabascan Indian people, here in the south part of the Brooks Range. One of the words you hear a lot through a winter in a Koyukon Indian village is Adzu! It's cold! Athabascan people throughout interior Alaska and in western boreal Canada are among the world's greatest experts at dealing with extreme cold. Koyukon people would warn me, be really careful when you're out cutting firewood, out there alone in the forest. If you got injured by a chainsaw, or let's say something happened and you got knocked out, you could easily freeze to death if it's 40, 50 below zero before anybody would come looking for you. Always carry matches and an axe, they advise. Campfire can save your life. Say your snow machine hits overflow and freezes up. You better be able to make a fire and dry out your stuff and stay warm. I always had dog teams when I lived in the villages. And man, the dogs, they don't like to pull when it's really cold. They lift their feet. They look miserable. It's very hard for them to pull a sled on this squealing, dry, sand-like snow when it's really, really cold. Now here's something Interesting, right off the side of the trail. We're up pretty high now. We're almost at tree line, looking out across a sprawling view of that valley where the cold air sinks in during the winter. But right now, these gentle snowflakes drifting down, a gorgeous scene. And now check this out, right off to the side of the trail, there's some willows here. And right around the edges of those willows, little troughs with double footprints in them. Ptarmigan have been here nibbling away at these willows. Ptarmigan and rough grouse do something really interesting when it's really cold. They'll either dive or burrow down into the snow for insulation. Red squirrels that live here in the forest along this creek, lemmings, the little rabbit-like pikas that live in the mountains farther south from here, they stay active all winter, but much of their life is underneath the snow in a network of subnivian tunnels. Humans, of course, don't have the option of running around under the snow in tunnels. They have some serious challenges, and one of the biggest of them in the cities in the northern parts of Alaska and Canada, a notorious problem in the bigger cities like Fairbanks, Alaska, but it even happens in small villages. When the temperature is minus 30 degrees or colder, water vapor freezes into suspended little tiny particles of ice that drift around in the air. Vapor from car exhaust, from home heating, from power plants, even accumulated human breath will cause this ice fog. It hangs there in the dead, still air, and it's also held down by the temperature inversion. Dense ice fog can last for a week or two without any relief, makes for very dangerous driving, and above all, it's oppressive, claustrophobic, drives people absolutely nuts. Oh, hey, look at that. Here comes a, a gray jay just flying over the treetops here, kind of dips down, glides a little bit down in among the trees, perfectly quiet. Other stuff happens when it's really cold. Frost, big feathers and flowers of frost can build up on the walls inside your house or cabin if it's not terribly well insulated. People living in far north cities tend to have heaters for the engines of their cars. They plug them in. In Fairbanks, Alaska, you go around, it's like every car's got an umbilical cord stuck into a little plug alongside the roads and in the parking lots. Cars just don't like cold weather. I'll never forget driving the Alcan Highway through the Yukon Territory one year in late December. Man, it was cold. You dropped down into the low spots. Had to be at least minus 60 degrees. The seat covers inside the car cracked. The mud flaps broke off. 
took the battery inside a motel at Haynes Junction in the Yukon Territory overnight so the engine would start in the morning. That worked just fine, but got about 30 miles down the road, and the metal in the engine contracted so much that it opened the seals, and oil blew out all over the engine compartment. Ended up dumping oil in there until I got up over the pass and started going down into the balmy temperatures of zero or so. Everything sealed up again, and the car was always fine after that. To tell you the truth, I've always thought a dog team is the number one thing to have in North Country. Much better than a car or a snow machine, because dogs always work, even if they don't particularly like that deep cold. And of course, they make good company, and if you get into trouble, you can snuggle up with them and they'll help to keep you warm. In the traditions of Koyukon Indian people, cold isn't just a weather condition. It's not just the low end of the thermometer. Cold is a conscious, powerful being. In the Koyukon language, it's called Zadu Dana. One manifestation of that kind of power in the physical world is hoarfrost. Sometimes people wake up in the morning in the village or out in a camp and they see everything covered with a glittering hoarfrost. That's the stuff that often precedes a cold snap. Tells you some really deep cold weather is coming. In the Koyukon language, it's called kakotdona. It means cold's food, and it's considered to be a bad omen, especially an omen of death. People say sometimes it means someone is lying out there in the forest somewhere frozen. In Koyukon tradition, it's possible to cause deep cold weather by doing some kind of offenses against that zadudana, that being of the cold. One way to do it, bragging. The cold can't get the best of you. Oh, I'm way too tough for that. Elders told me if you brag that way, it's a lot more powerful than you are. The cold weather is going to put you in your place. Koyukon elders also warn the children in the villages, don't ever bother the little birds that nest very early in the season. Don't peek into their nest because that's another way that you can cause very cold weather by disturbing those spiritual powers that live in the world around you. I remember elder Koyukon people telling me about the danger of cold weather late in the winter when spring is coming on. All of a sudden you get a big cold snap. People had often in the earlier days run out of stored food by that time, and so it could cause starvation. They couldn't get out and get the kind of food they want. I remember the Koyukon elder teacher Catherine Atla talking about her girlhood. When they had cold snap weather like that, she was sent out to look in under the bare spots beneath the trees, bare ground there, to try to find songbirds that had frozen to death and fallen down. And that's what people could use for their food during those very difficult times. Well, as we've come along here up the mountain slope, the light has come up almost to its midday level, which on a cloudy day like this, it isn't very bright at all. But as I look out over the valley here now, every detail of these snow-covered trees, the boughs, the trunks, the lattice of branches perfectly revealed looking through this fretwork of snow. For some reason, deep cold is always exciting for me. It's like a wild tempestuous thing, sort of like storms, you know, something that reveals the power of nature and shows us who's in charge around here. You know, if places like Alaska and northern Canada were benign and warm and easy like so many other parts of the world, they'd probably lose something that's vital and unique. Look at this valley from high up here now, almost at Timberline. This spectacular wild beauty, this unpeopled, undomesticated beauty, who would want it to change? Who would want to see it crowded with towns and cities and the land tamed and fenced and domesticated? 
thanks to cold, we have the wildness that defines the North above all else. And we have ways of life that that wildness makes possible. So I think the best medicine for cabin fever, simply this. Throw on your parka and your mitts, get out of the house, and get into this exciting, fascinating world of deep winter cold. Well, our red fox tracks still going along right next to us here. Well, rather than following the fox's tracks on up the hill, I think this might be a good time to head back down the trail. And while I do it, I'm going to take Henry David Thoreau's advice. I'm going to breathe in this crisp, invigorating cold. And maybe keep in mind an old Japanese proverb. One kind word can warm three winter months. For Encounters, I'm Richard Nelson. I want to thank you so much for your good company on this beautiful winter day above the Arctic Circle in northern Alaska. See you next time. Encounters is a production of KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. The program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson and produced by Lisa Bush, special consultant from Ken Fate, theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation and by the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, Robert Osborne, Jerry Tone, Martha Wyckoff, and Sue Cohn. For more information about the show and how to get copies, visit us online at EncountersNorth.org.